This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. He's been talking to me this last week about what it is that he's wanting to do in the lives of people and what he's, what he's inviting us into. And I th- what he's given me is some things that I believe are really pertinent and relevant for us, practical things. What concerns me most and what I'm most interested in is how do I live my life in relationship with God? There's, I, I appreciate and I value the word and everything that it offers us. But to me, it almost should be an, it should always be an invitation to how, how do I realize that? I don't want to live with my theories about God, but I want to be able to step into what he has available to me. And so that very much is, is the drive for me. Um, and so what I'm going to do, I'm just going to wonder as I go, because it's, I try to put this thing together and it just, it is what it is. In Exodus chapter three, there's a really interesting story because what happens is Moses meets with God. Moses has been at the backside of the desert for a number of years and his destiny, he feels, has disappeared and is gone. And he's walking along in the desert and all of a sudden there's this bush that's burning, but it's not being consumed. And he goes over there and he gets to the bush and the thing is he meets and has an encounter with God. He meets and he has an encounter with God in that space. What's most important for us when we come to church is don't come to get knowledge, come to meet with God. I I know it sounds really simple, but I can't tell you how many people I think come to church because they want a good sermon, a good teaching, they want to have good preaching, they want to have good stories, they want to have a social time, and all of those things are fine, but that's not the reason we come to church. The reason we come to church is because of the burning bush. The reason we come to church is because we want to meet God. If we didn't meet God, we missed the whole point of it. So it becomes really pertinent because the thing is, something happened to Moses in that space when he met with God. When he met with God, God said to him, I'm going to talk to you about who you are. And you're only going to discover who you are and what you're about in the context of me. And Moses started to discover some things about who he was in the context of God. And he found it hard to digest it. But that's okay. When God introduces you to some things, when God introduces you to truth, sometimes it's at such a disconnect with your reality that we find it hard to digest. Just take it and run with it because you'll discover the fulfillment of that as you walk it out in your life. You don't have to know it right then, but the thing is you grab hold of that truth and you hold on to that truth. Not only did he speak to him about who he was, but he spoke to him about what he was going to do. And it wasn't about Moses understanding God and taking his knowledge and his information about God to go and do something. What God said to him was this, and this is really important. God said to him, I want you to take who I am and introduce me. What changed and what liberated a nation was not Moses' knowledge about God, but it was the introduction of God into that space. We have a nation that's in serious trouble. And the problem with too much of the church is we're trying to sway things by our reasoning and because of our philosophy, which happens to be something which comes out of the Bible. The problem with it is we're in the natural, not in the spiritual. And we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So anytime as born again believers, when we walk into a space and we try to deal with it from the natural, basically what we're doing is it's flesh on flesh. And don't be surprised if it doesn't amount to anything. 
but we wrestle not against flesh and blood. The invitation that God extended to Moses was this. If you can understand what it is that I'm wanting to do through you, if you can come into a meaningful relationship with me and you move into different spaces that I direct you and you fulfill what I've called you to do, you will see the supernatural. And that's what will bring about change and transformation. The world isn't looking for your philosophy on life. They're not even looking for your religion. They're not interested. They're not interested in our doctrine about God. What they want to know is, is he alive? If you want to change America, if you want to have influence in America, Moses, one man, liberated the entire nation because he went with God. What you can do with God, you don't need to have a full nation to go and make it happen. You can do it with him if you can find out what his will is and you can work with him. Things change when we get into relationship with God. It was such a paramount time for Moses. But I want you to understand something and have a look at this. Before any of what happened in his relating to God took place, God said something interesting to him. He said, take off your shoes because you're on holy ground. Take off your shoes because you're on holy ground. What he was saying to him was this. Understand this, Moses, when you come into my presence, I'm looking for a reverence and a humility. I'm concerned because I feel like as the church, universal. What's been compromised over time is our reverence and our humility toward God. Matthew chapter 6. Um, Who's Ruffin? Somebody. Can I, get a, can I get some water? Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, let me teach you how to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Do you know what hallowed means? Hallowed means, thank you. Hallowed means set apart by holiness, worthy of reverence. Set apart by holiness, worthy of reverence. I'm concerned that we've lost our reverence for God. Do you know what reverence is? Reverence is an overwhelming feeling of worth for something. I'm a big fan of the fact that God loves us. And part of the communication about that has been all about the fact that we've got daddy God. And I'm, I, I believe in that. I'm not taking away from that. But I, unfortunately, I feel that what's happened as a result of introducing Daddy God is it's introduced a casual relationship towards God. Eh, the things of God are nice, and we bless them, and thank you, and glory, and hallelujah, and all the rest. But we've lost to some degree the take off your shoes. The take off your shoes. What I want to encourage us to do as a congregation is when we step into this place, before we come in, take off your shoes. Amen. We're not here to meet with the man upstairs. This is Jehovah. Amen. I am that I am. And when we come into this place, the encouragement is to come in with an expectation and an attitude of humility and gratitude and reverence. In that space where Moses adopted that attitude, he discovered and entered into a relating to God that changed his life. 
I believe it's really important for us in going forward. Let's not take the things of God for granted. In um, Luke chapter 24, in verse 49, I want to read it out of the Amplified. Listen carefully. I'm sending the promise of my Father, the Holy Spirit, upon you. But you are to remain in the city of Jerusalem until you are clothed, fully equipped, with power from on high. What's happening here is Jesus has already been crucified and he's, been re- and he's risen from the dead. And he's meeting with his disciples. And this was basically the last instruction that he gave to, inci- to his disciples before he was taken up into heaven. And so he's talking to them in this place. And I was thinking about this. Have you ever wondered about Jesus' disciples? And why did Jesus choose them? Because they were an interesting bunch of people. You would have thought that God made flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, would have gone to the church to have chosen his disciples. You would have thought he would have gone to that place to sit and say, let me find some people who are equipped, who are knowledgeable, who understand the word. Let me get those people who have a, at least some kind of a foundation about the things of God. But he never went there. Not one of his disciples came out of the church. Not one of them came out of any spiritual background. All of them were ordinary people. Ordinary people. And I thought about that because I thought, why on earth would Jesus do something like that? Because he never does anything unintentionally. And I began to realize the reason that he did something like that was because the problem with people who are religious is they think they have all the answers. And the problem is, when you think you have all the answers, you're not open to instruction. The problem with people who think that they have all the answers is they don't position themselves in a place of humility. Ordinary people are people who recognize their weaknesses. Ordinary people are people who recognize their brokenness. Ordinary people are are people who recognize the fact that they're fallible. I look at my own life and all the different things that I see in my life, and with regularity, I wake up every single day and I think, oh dear Lord, did I do that again? Why did I handle it that way? And I begin to realize more and more. it's, It's a wonderful thing to discover that stuff. Not to live there. But you discover it because you know what? The thing about ordinary people is because ordinary people are marked by weakness, it's an invitation to realize a savior. The thing is when you recognize the fact that I'm, that I'm imperfect, when I recognize the fact that I'm broken, when I recognize the fact that I need help and I'm a person in need, it opens the invitation to a savior. But if you don't looking for a savior, you'll try and save yourself. It's when I move into that place that I'm well positioned because God says, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is perfected in your weakness. Do you know what he's saying? If you want to encounter me, if you want to realize what my power is all about, come to that place, come and meet with me. But because what I will do is I will take who I am, introduce you to who I am, and that reality and that truth is designed to set you free, bring about transformation, bring about change. Change those aspects of who I am. And so I recognize not only a savior who is outside of me, but a savior who's alive on the inside of me, doing things on the inside of me and changing things on the the inside side of me and introducing me to who he is. 
If you're an ordinary person, you can celebrate it today. You can be happy that you weren't raised religious. So what does that mean for us? Because it is pertinent. And what I want to suggest to you is this. This is the principle. Because of that, the invitation is for us to leave our preconceptions and our expectations at the door. Let me say this. The degree to which you have revelation is a wonderful thing. But should I tell you something? God is so infinite, it's limited. So take your revelation, but always stay in a place of humility and allow him to take that and grow from that place and make it more expansive. So revelation is a good thing. I don't know about you, but what I've discovered in my life recently is that a lot of my stuff that I thought was revelation really wasn't. What I really got was something that somebody else had studied and they presented to me and I took it and I digested it as truth. And the problem with it is, as I've kind of gone along my Christian walk, what I've discovered is some of those things were partially true, but not complete. And other of those things were just horribly wrong. But that's okay. The problem is if I bring it inside with me. Because the problem is when I bring in my preconceptions and the way that God is going to work, my expectations of who he is, what I do is I put limitations on the Holy Spirit. He doesn't do things like that. Who says? My teaching, my training. And so the invitation that we move to is to sit and say, you know what? Do we believe in a God who wants to live with us and be with us, and a God who wants to walk us into new things, a God who wants to invite us to experience a fuller dimension of who God is. There's an interesting verse in Second John. Um, sorry, First John chapter 2, verse 27. And this is what it says. But you have received the Holy Spirit, and he lives within you. Are you born again? Okay, this is talking to you now. So it's talking to me. Okay, all those me's out there. You have received the Holy Spirit and he lives within you. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know. And what he teaches you is true. What a shock to churches. All this time I thought you were coming to be taught. It doesn't say that. I'm not here to teach you. It doesn't mean I'm not here to teach and I'm not here to preach. The fact of the matter is this. If I come to meet with him, my invitation and the, and the space that I move into in this dimension is to sit and say, Holy Spirit, I, I pray that you take the things that are presented and you take those things and you illuminate them to me and so that you open the truth to what they're all about. That brings about change and transformation. I'm to be taught by the Holy Spirit. I have a responsibility as the preacher or the teacher, as everybody else here, to go and find spiritual insights. That's my responsibility. And once I have that, I take what the Holy Spirit gives me and I put it out there. But then what he does with it is up to him. The problem with it is we have too many churches where the Holy Spirit is absent. And when the teacher's not there, all I have left is information, not transformation. 
I have information, not transformation. That's not what he's looking for. What he's saying is, I'm here to teach you. We spoke about this a couple of weeks ago. The fact we're, um, we're encouraged to pray without ceasing. What it's talking about is live a lifestyle of relating to God on an ongoing basis, 24-7, seven days a week, 365 days a year. I don't have to get into my closet for five minutes in the morning and leave the Holy Spirit at home for the rest of the day. I'm with him all the time. I'm relating to him all the time. I, because why? Because he's leading me and he's guiding me and he's teaching me and he's introducing me. And what I discover is I learn more about him and God as I live in relationship with him as opposed to coming on Sunday to get a little bit of information. The new dimension of what God's walking into, I can tell you now, is going to be characterized people by people who have an intimate relationship with their God. People who live in the expectation of when God says, I'm going to lead you and guide you, I'm going to teach you, I will walk you into all truth, I live in the expectation of that happening. I don't put that responsibility on anything else anymore. It's on me and him. We talk about sonship. And sonship is a wonderful thing. It talks about how we are born of God and how we walk into the fullness of what that's all about. How is God going to do that? The Holy Spirit is going to lead you into all truth. Every time we get truth from him, what is he doing? He's taking an aspect of who we are. He's inviting us to experience something new and something different, something more expansive. Every time he gives us something, what he's imparting to us is something that is of God. And what he's saying is, take it. Let it affect you. Let it influence you. Let it invite you into something new. Let it invite you into something different. Let it create an expectation in you that God's going to do something in your life. Why? Because that's what sons do. That's what children of God do. We live in the expectation that dad is going to be there and do some stuff. Hmm. Let's see. John chapter 4 verse 24 says, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Okay, so here's another key which you know, and it's simple, but live in the application of this. When God created man, he created us, both natural and spiritual. We're comfortable in the natural realm because that's where we live on an everyday basis. Our senses give us access to that, and we're very comfortable in that arena. But what God's saying is this, as comfortable as you are there, I'm far more interested in spirit. So what he's saying is, if you want to move to a place where you want to realize a more intimate relationship with me, if you want to discover who I am, if you want to get to that place of the burning bush, you're going to have to get out of the natural and into the spirit. So we walk into a completely different realm, a completely different arena, something that we're not always comfortable with, we have limited understanding of, and so we're dependent on something to take us and lead us and guide us and teach us. It's the Holy Spirit. That whole realm and that whole dimension needs to be, become so real to us. That's what Jesus lived from. 
Jesus, with regularity, separated himself to go and meet with the Father. What was he doing? He was engaging spirit at that point. And what he was doing was taking the things which he had discovered in that realm, in that arena, and introducing them into the natural, bringing heaven to earth. Amen. Unless we, uh, we, we move to a place where we start to move with more determination and comfort into the spiritual arena, unless we get to a place where we discover more about what it is and how to live in that realm and how to understand that realm and how to feel comfortable in that realm and how to relate to that realm and ultimately how to become proficient, hopefully, in that realm. We're always limited and compromised in our ability to bring heaven to earth. Because we're living in one realm. God's not in there. God is sourcing from one, but putting into the other. So it becomes really important. But the thing about it is, if we want to know how to do that, God gives us a clue. What he says to us is this. He says, Matthew chapter 18, verses 3 and 4. He says, unless you become as a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you be, it's the people who are humble who really um, excel in the kingdom of heaven, are great in the kingdom of heaven. This is the point. To move from the natural dimension into the spirit dimension requires of us dependence and humility. Dependence and humility. Because we know very little about that realm, what ends up happening is the invitation is this. If you really want to discover what it is, you have to become inquisitive as a young child, but live in that space where I recognize I don't know and recognize the fact that it's not, it's, it's not based on my, on, on my production, but my dependence. Everything comes from the Holy Spirit in that space. The thing is this, we are so at odds with that, and it's the antithesis to everything that we have in the natural. When we get into the spirit realm, what ends up happening is God invites us to live from a place where the source of our life is Him. The minute we step into the natural, most people, the source of their life is themselves. And so what he's saying to us is, when you want to move into that place, you have to become as a little child. Have you ever seen like a little toddler walking around with his dad? What does it do all the time? Dad, please can I have this? Dad, please will you get that? Dad, please can you pick me up? Dad, dad, dad. Why? Because I, he recognizes the fact that he's too young and he's too, he doesn't have what it takes to do a whole bunch of stuff. He recognizes his dependence on someone who is greater than himself. And he's sitting there saying, help me. I can't do it alone. But if you can, we can get it done. Unless you become as a little child and walk into the kingdom of heaven, the spiritual dimension as a child, looking for the Holy Spirit to guide me and lead me. And I'm living in the expectation that he is the source of everything. It's hard for me to become great in the kingdom of God. In fact, it's quite the opposite. What God says is it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Why does he say it's hard for a rich man? Because it, well, I'm self-sufficient. It's not necessarily limited to finances. What he's saying is anybody who's self-sufficient and is dependent on themselves, it's hard for them to get into the spiritual arena. Why? Because I don't need you. I can do it myself. It's when you hit the place where you recognize your poverty that you're in trouble. 
When I get to the place where you go to the doctor and he says, should I tell you something? I've got bad news for you. All of a sudden you recognize, I don't have what it takes to get that done. And in that space, I recognize my need. And in that need, I suddenly can go looking for God because the thing is, I can't do it in and of myself. What God was saying was this, anytime we feel self-sufficient, we disqualify ourselves from moving into that arena. It's 100% dependent on him. When you move into the spirit realm, it's all about dependence. It's not about self-dependence. It's all about power. It's not about production. It's all about transformation, allowing him to do something on the inside of me and bring about change. It's not about conformation. It's all about life. It's not about form. They're fundamental differences, but it's so important for us because our future is characterized and is the treasure chest of your future is sitting in the spirit realm. It's not spreading in the natural realm. Our ability to engage that space and allow the Holy Spirit to take us and direct us and move us into that is completely dependent on our ability to navigate the spirit arena. So Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says to them, um, let me read it to you again. Listen carefully. I'm sending the promise of my father, the Holy Spirit upon you, but you are to remain in the city of Jerusalem until you are clothed, fully equipped with power from on high. One thing about Jesus' disciples is that they had such a great advantage. Have you ever thought about this? They spent three years with Jesus. They went to church every day. <laughs> they were taught every single day from Jesus' lips. doesn't get any better than that. They had teaching better than anything we've ever had. They got the Great Commission. Go into the world, all the world. Lay hands on the sick. They got the Great Commission. Jesus said to them, you know what? You are kind of startled and taken back by the things that I do. But he says, I want you to know something. The things that you're going to do will be the same as me, if not greater. It was an invitation. If you look at them, it's quite interesting because... When Jesus is talking to them, these are people who were well taught. These are people who had a commission. These were people who had an invitation to the supernatural. And what was the first thing that Jesus says to them? Go to Jerusalem and wait until the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Go to Jerusalem and wait. We don't wait. We want to run. We don't wait. We want to go. I know some stuff. I've got some teaching. I've got some understanding. God said, lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Pray, 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 pray. Please don't get me wrong. I, I, I'm, 
not criticizing any of that. What I'm talking about is there was a reason why Jesus said, I know you understand the commission. I know you understand the teaching. And I know that you're really excited about the invitation. But until you wait, you're not to go. Too many Christians don't wait. What is waiting all about? Waiting is all about getting to that place where we discover the secret place of who he is. And we get into that space and we sit and say, I'm not going until you come. I'm not going until you come. I will wait in this place. I will pray in this place. I will look for you in this place. I will surrender. I will leave my pla- myself at a place where I'm looking for you to come into here because I want you. I want you. What was so important for them was the fact that they had to have the Holy Spirit. These are the things that concern me a little bit. I'm just being honest with you today. These are the areas where I feel sometimes we've gone a little, got a little bit casual with the things of God, and we, we, we kind of erring pretty close to trivializing some of it. They were so hungry. They were so hungry for the things of God. They prayed for three days, and they're lucky he came then. They may have carried on praying for who knows how long. Why? Because Jesus said he was coming. Please hear what I'm saying today. Please hear what I'm saying. I feel in some ways the things of God, we've taken away the significance of them. We don't have a reverential awe for what it really means. We look at things and we do them because that's what we're supposed to do. But we don't understand that we're actually engaging in a spiritual exercise with some of these things. Are you born again? Yes. Okay, who wants to receive the baptism of the, of the Holy Spirit? Oh, you, you, up you come. Lay hands, speak to thanks, thanks, bye. I'm not taking away from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We need to have it. What I'm saying is, I don't think we put enough emphasis on what God's wanting to do in those things. And sometimes we grab a, grab a morsel and run. And what he's saying is, I don't want you to have the morsel. I want you to have the truckload. I didn't ask for you to come up here and get prayed for so you could speak in other tongues and you left here with your shamatata, but you got no power. You don't have the Holy Spirit in its fullness. A few little shamatata words aren't going to get you by. You've got to have him. And if you don't have him, it's a problem because there are too many people who go to church, but they've never met God. I've never met him. There are too many Christians who go to church who have met God once when I got born again 26 years ago. And I've never seen him since. Why? Because I didn't wait. I didn't separate myself and find that secret place, that place where I sat and said, you know what? You mean everything to me. The arena God is moving into in the new dispensation, there is no room for people without an appetite. If you're not hungry, you will find yourself off the edge. 
not because of God, but because he's moving on. And if you're not hungry, you're not following. The time for lazy Christianity is history. God is getting serious about stuff. And you're going to have to make a choice. Same as me, whether I want to get in the boat or not. How hungry are you for the things of God? Now, this is interesting for me. Jesus is talking to them. This is Jesus. This is the Christ. This is the one who went out and laid hands on the sick and they recovered. This is the one who went and got Lazarus and pulled him out of the dead. This is the one who turned water into wine. Okay, this is the miracle working Jesus. But he does something so interesting here. He doesn't say, come to me and I'm going to pray for you to receive the Holy Spirit. He says, you go and wait. So here it is. There's some things we get from God that you only going to come, that only come through hunger. There are some things that we get from God that only come through hunger. How hungry are you for them? God places a great value on the things that Christ has made available to us. And he doesn't throw pearl before swine. What he says is, to what degree do you value it? It's got nothing to do with works. It's a value proposition. Are you prepared to wait for three days until you get the Holy Spirit? Or is it, I'm happy with a shamatata moment? To what degree do we value it? God places enormous emphasis on the re- degree to which we value Him. Him. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Everything comes down to an obedience equation. Here's the fact of the matter. The thing is this. The degree to which we value something is expressed by what we are prepared to sacrifice for it. Everything in our economy comes down to sacrifice. Just stick with me on this one because you'll get it in a minute. I I don't want you to misinterpret what sacrifice is about. I'm not talking works. Everything that's of value to God comes at the expense of something of mine. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I have been crucified with Christ. I am dead. What is it saying? It's talking about the fact that self is to sacrifice for him. So let me give you something that may be helpful, an example. As a born again believer, you are spirit and body. Here are the scales. And one of those two things gets to define every area of your life. 
Would you wake up early in the morning to spend time with me? There's the invitation. There's the invitation. Now I've got to make a choice. You see, right at the moment, my flesh owns that space. And I like my sleep. But what he's saying is, are you prepared to sacrifice it to spend time with me? It's like a cup. Every area of our life is like a cup. And something fills that cup. If that cup is filled with mud, muddy water, and I take fresh water and I pour it in there, what happens? It just falls over the top. Why? Because it's already full. But if I want to get the fresh water, the way I get the fresh water is by sacrificing what's in there. And when I sacrifice what's in there, now I have something which is empty, which can be filled with the water. Will you wake up and spend some time with me in the morning? Falls over the top because my flesh is in that space. But if I want to realize what it is to spend time with him, throw the flesh out and let him fill that space. Why? Because I value time with him more than my body getting an extra 15 minutes relaxation. It's about sacrifice. Gets down to what do you think about things? Well, I think this. I feel that. I, do. I, I, I. If there are too many eyes in the sentences, you got a lot of cups filled with mud. It's no longer I. We always get ourselves in jeopardy because what we end up saying is we say I, 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 and then it says it's no longer I who lives, and I realize, oh no, I have to go back and get the mud out of all of those things. I think, it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you think. I, I believe. It's consequential what you believe, but in God's economy, it's irrelevant what you believe. It doesn't change truth. It affects the degree to which it influences our life, but it doesn't change him. What I'm saying to you is this. What God is wanting to do in our life is he's wanting to take every aspect of who we are and change it so that it isn't defined by flesh, but it's defined by spirit. He wants to take every aspect and every, every time he extends an invitation to us, what he's saying is, let's have a look what's in that cup. Is it me or is it not? Now, what do you want to do with it? He never forces us to do anything, but we make a choice. So we want to be people as we move forward with God to be spiritual people. How do we begin to become spiritual people? And this is the thing I think I'm speaking on next week. I really think that. <laughs> Lord willing, I'm going to get such a bad reputation for being an untruthful person. I really, that's what I wanted. To we learn in the little things. We learn in the little things. I'm discovering more and more how to hear his voice. And the thing is, when he invites me to something which is small, it may be small to me, but it's consequential to him. And ultimately becomes consequential to me. Because he who is faithful in little will become ruler over much. If I can't trust you with the little invitation, I don't like that. I don't like that. Change it. If I don't change, he waits. 
Grace is limitless. Grace is incredible. Grace offers such opportunity. And the limitations on grace are beyond anything we could possibly imagine. The limitations on grace are not placed there by God. They placed there by me. The degree to which I walk into grace has nothing to do with God. It has everything to do with me. Where have you set the boundaries and the limits? Jesus is not coming back to give us more grace. It's there. Everything's there. But we decide what it is we want to do. I want to leave you with this. The most important thing is the degree to which we value him. Our pursuit of everything becomes inconsequential if we lose sight of him. To know him, 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 and the full expression of who he is in my life. To know him. It's very easy for us to read what God's made available to us and to slide, even if we're well-intentioned, into a disposition which isn't right. I'm looking, for him, I'm looking to him for what I can get rather than for who he is. And you know what? It even affects things like power. I found that out for myself. It was like I, I was really well-intentioned. And I was like, I, really, I, I need to have the power of God because I need the power of God to be able to walk into his promises and what he's made of it. I need the power of God. And you, we can pursue the power, but the problem with it is he is everything. And when you pursue him, everything that is about him comes with him. But it's to keep that priority straight. If we don't, it becomes the wife who marries somebody for money. Let's call him a gold digger. And usually there's about a 75-year age gap between them. <laughs> but what's the problem? The problem is I didn't marry you for who you are. I didn't marry you because I love you. I didn't marry you because I care about you. I didn't marry you because I spent my life sitting saying, I want to know you and who you're all about. I married you because I got the car and I got the home and I got the vacations and I got the jet. I like the lifestyle. But if the lifestyle goes... Bye, buddy. And sometimes we do that with God. We don't always necessarily intend to, but if we're really honest, we'll look at some of that things and we'll sit and say, you know what, my motivation is not pure. It's not because I really want to get to know him and I really want to experience him and I really want to... Allow him to come in so that my relationship and the two of us can become so much more intimate. My motivation's not always that. So they go. 
to the upper room. And they pray. And something happened. Has something happened in your life? Has something happened in your life? You know how you know something happened? Because you were left different. You were left changed. You probably got something from it. Right after this, right after the time when they had met and they had got and the Holy Spirit came upon them, was the time when Peter was walking past through the gate beautiful. And he came to the lame man and he says something so profound. He said, I haven't got any money to give you, but what I've got, I can give you. What was he talking about? I was in the upper room and I got something. What did you get from God? If you get it, you will know it. If you have to ask if you have it, you never got it. What did Peter say? Silver and gold, I haven't got. I got something from him. And because I've got it, I've got something I can give you. It's not something of me. It was something that came when I met him. When he met him and he came into that space, he didn't only come with who he was, but he came with the ability to take who he was and manifest it. I got something. When we meet with God, we should leave there knowing I got something. And it's never going to come with five minutes a day. That's why God's moving on. So I can't wait for the five minute today, Christian. You're welcome to come. You're welcome to come. But I'm moving. Do you want to come? Or do you want to stay? You can stay in form, but life is moving. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? We think that this is just limited back to the times of, of the Bible, but it's not. If you take the biographies of people in recent times who had dramatic and impactful ministries, what happened? They all refer back to a time where it was, you know what? I was in that space. I was in that intimate place. I was in that place where I was looking for him, where I was waiting for him. I was in that place where I had an encounter. And when I left there, I knew I had something. Catherine Kuhlman. I think I read this to you once before. I love this. This is what she said. This was in her biography. She says, all he needs is somebody who will die. And when I died, he came in. I was baptized. I was filled with the Spirit. I spoke in an unknown tongue as he took every part of me. In that moment, I surrendered unto him. And I surrendered unto him every part there was of me, everything, everything. Then for the first time, I realized what it was to have power. When we get to the place where we can spend time in the secret place with him, when we get to that place where we want him more than anything, when we get to the place where relationship with him is so profoundly driving in my life, 
you will leave that space and you will never leave there empty-handed. Not because you're looking for the stuff, but because you got him. And when he came in and did something in that space, I was able to walk out of there and say, I know it. It's when you walk down the street and somebody says to you, I need whatever. It's when you can look at them and sit and say, listen, I'm not here to give you charity, but I'll tell you what I have got. I'm not here to give you a good word of encouragement, but this is what I have got. I'm not here to sit and say to you, everything's going to be okay, because I've got something much more profound to offer you. That's what the church was called to be. When the church stands up and the church discovers a secret place, when the church moves into a place where we meet and we live in relationship, in intimacy with him, when we leave those spaces and we walk into our world, we walk into our world knowing I have something. That's the calling for the modern church. That's the invitation that God extends to us today. It's the most exciting thing ever, but it's completely dependent on how hungry I am. Can we all please stand? I can't pray for you to receive these things. I can't do that. Jesus couldn't do it. This is completely dependent on how hungry you are for relationship with him. It's like marriage counseling. Two people go and can go in for marriage counseling, but it's irrelevant even if the counselor gives them all the information that they need. Even if the truth is there and is completely would, would, would restore the relationship, if they don't take it and they're not intimate and develop that within themselves, they never realize it. We all have to discover that secret place for ourselves. I've got good news for you. Jesus never left you empty-handed. The Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you. And if you move to a place where you sit and say, Holy Spirit, I want a new dimension to my life. I just don't want to live like everybody else. I want to be an ordinary person who becomes extraordinary. He will take you and he'll do something with you. Won't you just please bow your heads? I thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence here. I ask you, Holy Spirit, just to move in the lives of everybody here today. And those who need it, birth a hunger. In those who have it, fuel their hunger. 
I thank you that you want more than anything to meet with us, to live life with us, for us to get to know you. Father, as we walk into a humble submission, humility to the leading and guiding of your spirit, I want to thank you for your influence. I thank you for people who will never be the same. I thank you for people who are ordinary, who become peculiar. interesting Catherine Coleman was not a big fan of praying for people and she she didn't actually like people coming up for her to lay hands on them she was a big believer in the fact that if I carry the Holy Spirit with me his presence brings with it the anointing to bring about change and it was interesting because what characterized her meetings was the fact that people were healed in their seats. And she liked that because she said it never drew attention to me. I think that's a place that living faith should be. If you need prayer for anything, Just come up at the end of service and there'll be people to pray for you. But I want to leave you with this bit of homework. If you've never discovered that secret place, be intentional about it. He's waiting for you. And if you have discovered that place, try and spend more time there. I think the dimension that God is walking into is very profound. And it's going to require people who are sold out and committed to him. It'll be the most exciting adventure of your life. But it's always a question of to what degree do you value it? Our value defines those parameters. <laughs>